Whether ghosting is an appropriate alternative to an exit interview when severing ties. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. That is our topic for today, and I'm going to get to it in the middle part of the show. But first, I want to do some introductory material from an inappropriate conversations perspective as much as for Walk the Earth. Uh, The next recording I'm going to do will be an Inappropriate Conversations show live in New Orleans as part of the Pride 48 Expo this year. I did the same thing about a year ago, recording an episode with Mr. Rogers as the different drummer, and I'll be there again this year. The showtime, for those who might choose to follow, either at pride48.com, where there's a listen button, or via an app like TuneIn Radio, where Pride 48 has a channel, Uh, The time for me is local time in New Orleans, Central Daylight Time, of 2 p.m. Saturday, August 17th. From 2 to 2.55 p.m. approximately, inappropriate conversations will be recording. I'm anticipating it as being a solo show, but I'm hopeful that it's a solo show with a lot of audience participation. So, additional voices for this particular inappropriate conversations planned recording. So once again, by 3 Eastern time, Inappropriate Conversations should be on the air, as the uh, showtime is 3 uh, Eastern, 2 Central, and noon Pacific. This year, for the 2019 New Orleans Pride 48 Podcasting Expo. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do, because I want to make sure that I play at least one more time the promo for the event itself. Um, This is the second year in a row in New Orleans. Last year went well, and I'm anticipating this year going very well, too. The other thing that I think I want to do right up front is just kind of point out the obvious sort of house-cleaning things, because I feel like the show is at a bit of a point of transition, and I'm honestly not 100% sure what is next for Walk the Earth. So, how can you interact with Walk the Earth? All my correspondence is managed in email at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com. I've noticed recently that the, although I've been saying for years that the every podcast has a uh, posting online at inappropriateconversations.org and that comments are enabled, I don't know for how long, but lately I've noticed that those comments seem to be limited to people who are using a Podbean app. Now, I use a Podbean app because there are a few shows, not just my own, that I access uh, specifically via Podbean, and the app itself is perfectly fine, but... Um, It's enough to say that there is a way of leaving comments, but it may not be fully accessible to all people. Uh, The best way of me working around that is the fact that I do respond to the email. I'm also active on Twitter. IC underscore Greg includes posts related both to inappropriate conversations and Walk the Earth. On Facebook, the two are separated. There's a page for Walk the Earth, WTE Podcast, and uh, Inappropriate Conversations is handled on its own Facebook page. I need to get back onto SoundCloud, where I'm IC underscore Greg, in posting clips of past tracks so that people who want to listen to a shorter, perhaps slightly more truncated version of the podcast can do it there. I say slightly more truncated because even though 
It really is an excerpting of the Inappropriate Conversations podcast. For Walk the Earth, it's a pretty big chunk. I take everything from after the question, so not including the question itself, to before the prayer. So sort of the answer and all that it implies, including ordinary house cleaning things of this nature. So uh, here in a little bit, I'm going to get to the promo and then answer the question, because the promo for Pride 48, I think, is going to be a nice transition into this notion of whether or not the right way to sever a relationship is what I've heard described as cautioning out. And I'll get to that more in a minute, because I really couldn't find a whole lot of of good modern definition for this concept of cautioning out. So instead, I'm going to address that idea using a slightly older language of ghosting versus exit interview. But when it comes to the question of what's next for Walk the Earth, I really am sitting at a crossroads here. The podcast was originally planned with about 20 or 22 episodes, dealing with an arc of questions I was encountering while leaving a church that had become, in my opinion, quite dysfunctional, and trying to decide if there actually would even be a church that would be right for me and my family. Now, that may seem alarming to say that there could be a question along those lines, but at the time we decided to make this transition, it was fairly obvious to us that we were going to need to find a church that understood fully and completely what it meant to be open and welcoming, what it meant to seek people who were hurt, even harmed by other churches or other congregations, and bring them in and behave in the most Jesus-like way we could possibly muster as merely fallible human beings. And it didn't seem very likely to me at the beginning of this walk in 2013, I guess it was, that we were going to be successful in moving from one church to another. I was definitely doubtful that we would succeed in moving from one United Methodist church to another, and a change of denomination seemed like a legitimate risk and maybe a legitimate probability, and that is how things played out. But as I get through the answer to the question in today's show, I've got some notes at the end that kind of talk through some of the things that still remain a concern for me, no matter which church I might participate in, including the church that we have since joined instead of the church that we left, and even churches that I've visited along the way. So I've got a few uh, words of caution at the end, and you'd hate to wrap up Walk the Earth in such a moment of uncertainty, and I don't necessarily think that I am wrapping up Walk the Earth, but I'm contemplating a move. And I hesitate to say too much because there's a real chance it won't happen, but I'm contemplating extending the reach of the Inappropriate conversation set of shows to Spotify. I have recently, for the first time, taken a look at Spotify and decided that, you know, maybe if anything happened to my phone and the 200 gigabytes I've set aside for music could not be replicated in a replacement phone, and therefore being one more generation away from my 120 gigabyte Zune would really curtail the amount of music that I could carry with me, the amount of music files that were Greg-owned that I could carry around with me, and that maybe for the first time I needed to take seriously some streaming alternatives. And in looking at Spotify, it seemed credible enough to serve that need. A few years ago, my attitude was, well, let's watch and wait, because the last thing I'm going to do is give up my my files, my copies of music, to an industry that seems hell-bent on a rent-to-own model. And rent-to-own may be perfectly all right for people who, you know, don't... <sighs> who aren't archivists by nature, I guess would be one way of wording it. I almost said who don't care that deeply about music, and that's unfair, but 
uh, if I love something, I'm going to keep loving it forever. At least I believe forever. Meaning that I'm not just moving from whatever's on the top 40 to the, whatever's going to be in the top 40 in the future. That most of what's in the top 40 I ignore. But the bits and pieces I do decide to pick up and take with me, I intend to carry with me for a long, long time. So how much was I going to trust a, an organization like Spotify to maintain a music library on my behalf? They needed several years to prove that they could do that, and that seems to have happened. Then it raises the obvious question of if people like Jamel Hill are starting a podcast and putting her podcast only on Spotify or chiefly on Spotify, then Spotify becomes you know a question about, well, just how strong and robust is is their podcast menu, their podcast offerings. I'm still exploring that, and I'm still learning from it. What I've seen early on is that a lot of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis via Pride 48, for example, are not on Spotify. So there is a gap in that Spotify could not replace my current dog catcher app or iTunes or whatever they're doing these days in iTunes with podcasts. It, uh, it's not going to be a one-stop shop overnight for every podcast I care about. But there was enough things of interest over there that it raised the question of whether or not there was a home on Spotify for inappropriate conversations and walk the earth. I have a quick answer to that and that it's uh, not completely. Uh, it won't work totally. Uh, even if I felt like I had the time and effort and wanted to invest in posting everything I'd ever done in the past um, to Spotify or sharing it with them, uh, there's the entire Sound Of series from a couple of years ago music-laden uh, podcast episodes, probably not welcome on the site. Because for uh, for Spotify, they've got a very tricky set of arrangements when it comes to music, and they don't need podcasts interfering with that. So it would have to be picking and choosing. I couldn't just unleash the catalog, so to speak. But then the other thing that I noticed is that Spotify's baseline minimum requirement has a higher bit rate than what I typically record at. So when I make MP3s, I would have to start making MP3s, moving from 65 kbps to 96 kbps. And I think the way I've recorded has always worked for me because it's an audio blog. It's a single speaker show. And I have a lot of ways of controlling sound quality. And, and once you get past maybe the first 20 or 30 episodes in the year 2010, the sound quality has been you know, fairly good, sufficiently good, and pretty consistent. But I might have to take an upgrade there to meet the minimum requirements for anything being shared on Spotify. And that has begun to raise in my mind a lot of questions. Because I don't know that I'm in enough of a groove right now uh, that a once-a-month kind of show output. Well, does that justify the effort to uh, change the way I do things, to accommodate Spotify? Not sure about that. And when it comes to sharing episodes in the past, as I mentioned, I don't think I can do that just willy-nilly. I'm going to have to be selective. Now, the good news is I've got the best available wave document of every podcast I've ever recorded. It was how I did the talkback series for Christmas and in January of this past year. And I certainly could do that again and up the bit rate and take care of anything else that Spotify might need, including carefully picking and choosing which past episodes to share and how to share them um, by doing so in kind of in a willful and careful way. Uh, that could take some time and effort. It would take as much re-listening as the SoundCloud experiment has required, and that SoundCloud experiment, obviously it's, it's stalled a bit because of the amount of effort it takes to look at a past episode and know what's in it. And if you don't know what's in it, to listen enough to find out what's in it, there's a certain amount of labor associated with that. And 
the question is relevant to Walk the Earth. Let's say I do take this leap and decide that all go-forward episodes of Inappropriate Conversations, or potentially even Walk the Earth, will become available on Spotify. We'll be, we'll be saved to MP3 in a different way to accommodate that, and I'll be a little bit more mindful of ensuring that all the music that I use comes from Incompetech, from Kevin McLeod, where there wouldn't be a rights question or any issues. But what about Walk the Earth in the Past? On one hand, Walk the Earth in the Past is, you know, um, pretty consistently in music-free stuff, so it's a good candidate. But how do you post it? Going backward in time? Beginning at the beginning? Reposting everything going forward in time? I just don't know. And the question is almost, do I begin a process of keeping Walk the Earth at the bitrate I've always been using, leaving it out of the Spotify experiment, and perhaps even you know, beginning to make plans for wrapping it up? Anyone who listened to the last couple of episodes of Inappropriate Conversations probably has a sense that I've been dealing with some uncertainties, that I've been, on some level, uh, trying to bring some things full circle to finish some storytelling. I don't believe I can ever be guilty of uh, finishing storytelling. But the last Inappropriate conversation struck me as an episode that carried enough risk to cover those topics. It was vulnerable to enough of a degree that it raises questions about whether or not I'm just kind of hanging on a little bit and is hanging on by a thread the right way to dive into a new venture with a potentially much bigger audience. Don't know. So these are the things I'm wrestling with. Do I change the way I record a little bit, move to Spotify? Yes or no. If I do, what about walk the earth? Yes or no. If the answer to that question is yes, well, how do I do it? Do I put together some sort of retrospective from beginning to end? Do I pick and choose? My thought process on inappropriate conversations would be if I go here, I'm going to need to pick and choose and maybe pick highlights, treat it like a talkback series, and maybe be put out a little bit more material that way because it would be uh, much less complicated to record an intro and then save it as an MP3 at 96k PPS. It would, it would work, but I don't exactly know where I stand. The one thing I do know for sure, though, is that any look back to episode one of Walk the Earth is going to tie in kind of directly with this question. Um, I'm not sure, and I haven't listened back, but I'm not sure that Walk the Earth number one, that first question, led me to spend a lot of time talking about the nuts and bolts of how we left. We sort of just stopped going, is the answer. In other words, to uh, give a hint as the, to what I really did to answer this question, we kind of ghosted it. Of course, this question is not, what did I do when I left the United Methodist congregation and moved to a Disciples of Christ congregation, as it all eventually played out. It was whether it was the right thing to do. And listening to the first two, three, four episodes of Walk the Earth, I don't think provides that kind of context. So this kind of brings it full circle a little bit, in that Walk the Earth started with an assumption that we'd left. This episode may talk a little bit about what some of the decision-making was and how to handle that. And I would say, this is true to anybody in my personal life as well, when things go as sour as that relationship did, I don't feel that guilty about just walking away. New Orleans, an international city with a history, culture, and cuisine that draws millions of visitors annually from all over the world. It's also home to 2019's Pride 48 Expo. 
Side 48 is pleased to announce the event for 2019 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Come join our family of podcasters and listeners Friday, August 16th through Sunday, August 18th. Join in all the fun and fellowship. It's not too late to book your excursion. Find more information at Pride48.com. To restate some of that promo from an inappropriate conversation's perspective, the Pride 48 New Orleans Podcasting Expo will be Friday, August 16th through Sunday, August 18th, and inappropriate conversations will be there and will be live from 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central, for one hour. That's coming up next on Inappropriate Conversations. But to restate the question we're facing, whether ghosting is an appropriate alternative to an exit interview when severing ties, and that's true whether severing ties with a friend, with a company or a business relationship, or with a church. So, maybe it's a good time to define a couple of terms, and then I want to offer a quote that gives me a real sense of of why this is so important to me. Um, Ghosting, my perspective on that, is that is simply disappearing from someone's life without a lot of fanfare, without any explanation. When you're done, you're done. That's the end of that. Um, you know, cutting them off of social media, which I think I've, I've heard the expression here lately called cautioning out, that I've sort of had enough and I need to protect myself. And so to do so, I'm either going to mute people or I'm going to put their account, my relationship with their account to sleep for a month or two, or I'm just going to unfriend or whatever you call that. It's so much easier from my perspective to do it on Twitter because Twitter is less of a uh, handshake relationship. You can follow anybody you want to, and for the most part, they don't need to care that you're following them. It's okay if they do. It's okay if they don't. Sometimes you follow somebody, they follow you back. Sometimes you unfollow them, and they don't even notice. I mean, it's a little more casual, whereas with uh, Facebook as social media, there's a bit of the, I'm inviting you, and it's not going to happen until you say yes, and we both sort of agree. Meaning if any person has enough of the other person's crap, then it, it ends, right? Whereas if somebody's had enough of my nonsense and stops following me back on Twitter, I can still follow them, and it's not particularly con- controversial in any way. Facebook's different. When one person is done, they're both done. And sometimes one person can be done and the other person can know nothing about it because the issues there weren't discussed. And and ghosting is probably a good expression for what that is and for what that means. Now, you know, from my perspective, my social media approach has been that I know that depending on who you are, your relationship with me, I've got a lot of nonsense. This entire podcast thing could be for some people a lot of annoying, distracting nonsense. So I'm very careful. In fact, I'm highly reticent to invite anybody into my social media world. I My policy has historically been that I don't say no to friend requests, but I also almost never extend them. And the number of exceptions you can count on one hand to that. And my attitude is if, if you said I want to be your friend, or if you've willingly followed me on Twitter, if I annoy you, well, then that's on you. You know, you, you chose this. You can unchoose it if you feel like. It's sort of the approach that I use. Meaning that for me, a ghosting approach, an unfollow, an unfriend kind of situation, um, I just, I feel like that's fair and balanced. That if I've voluntarily entered into somebody's situation, I can voluntarily opt out. 
The question to some extent, though, is how does that compare to this notion of an exit interview? An exit interview is kind of more of a work concept, but I think there's a, an easy way to draw a parallel because in an exit interview, say hypothetically you've decided you've voluntarily chosen to leave an organization and go somewhere else, that could be something as common and benign as a retirement, or it could be the really, really nice professionally managed version of take this job and shove it. Either way, it's a voluntary decision to leave. And often that does lead, or at least in the past it has often, led to an exit interview, where the boss or the human resources department, somebody would like to at least understand if you've gone out and sought another job or you're taking another course with your life and you're leaving an organization that you had at least for a time committed to, well, what led to that decision? What can the company do better to prevent an exodus of others who are dealing with and, and struggling with some of the same issues. And um, the exit interview, at least on paper, served that purpose. But I would say that lately, and this goes back a couple of years, maybe three years, I'm seeing the exit interview used less and less and less. I can't remember the last time in my workplace environment that I was aware that a person who was leaving was a part of an exit interview process during their last two weeks in the organization. That the company maybe intentionally or otherwise, seems kind of okay with some aspects of the ghosting. Maybe the company doesn't need to hear it. Maybe the company knows the issues already. Maybe the company doesn't want to hear it. But for whatever reason, I'm finding exit interviews, even in the business world, to be less and less common. And in churches, I found them to be positively rare. The There's a certain attitude of entitlement that says, well, we're part of this really great thing, and we're doing God's work, and if you don't want to be part of it, then don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that is certainly a bit of a mentality that I think is valid and needs to be understood, especially if among the things which were causes of conflict were that one person, and I'm going to describe myself as this type of person, was actively involved in a focus toward reconciliation, whether that be within parties within the church who are disagreeing with each other, or the relationship of the church to the greater community, whether that be local or national or international, some sort of way of saying that that as a church we should be doing things from a mission perspective that are bigger than any one of us. And therefore, for any one of us to have an issue that interferes with that mission is a problem that screams for reconciliation. And if you spend a lot of time seeking that reconciliation and not getting it, then you've kind of already done your exit interview. So if I'm giving my answer away, at least from the specific piece of the puzzle on, well, how did me and my family leave, and why did our approach veer strongly toward what could be described as ghosting, I would probably say that the answer to this question is that ghosting is just as appropriate of an alternative if you've lived your life in a way that that exit interview was happening out loud, if every month, if not every week, you were providing answers to questions. Sometimes questions asked, but more often questions not asked. But could anybody really have been confused as to why me and my family left? I don't think so. And if they had no clue as to what our issues were, then they were so willfully obtuse that even in a face-to-face -face conversation that might be described on some level as an exit interview, I'm not 100% sure that they would get it. I don't know that I could accuse myself of being capable of generating understanding through a conversation like that. I want to go with a quote and share something I heard very recently on a podcast. So at the time that I'm recording this in early August, this would have been a podcast released somewhere in late July. Don, 
Dr. Sam Wells on BBC Radio 4 was talking about the concept of ambassador, and it was released on the Thought for the Day podcast that comes out uh, just about every day, every weekday, I suppose. Wells was defining it as having a role between two people or two countries and often acting as a mediator. And obviously he was working on the definition of ambassador in the context of the news of the day, which was conflict between the British ambassador to the U.S. and the current United States president. I'm less interested in the politics behind it and more interested in the way Wells shared scripture. Uh, Sam Wells said this, uh, Paul in Corinthians describes Jesus this way, describes him as an ambassador. And Paul reminds the church to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Quoting directly, Paul lived in the midst of many hatreds and enmities as we do today. And in that context, he says the single most important thing a person can do is to join a community of hope that brings enemies face to face with one another. He has a name for such a community. He calls it church. Today, we tend to assume church is a group of like-minded people who gather together to share belief and activity. But for Paul, you only, you only earn the right to use the name church if you are a community that's a genuine ambassador, representing parties at enmity with one another and to one another, and bearing together the pain of hurt and misunderstanding and hostility. To be an ambassador is to help people communicate and reconcile across profound difference. It is seldom easy, but it is the most important job in the world. Dr. Sam Wells, recorded on BBC Radio 4. Here's what I would add to that. When a church fails so completely to do that job that Wells has described, when a particular congregation acts as if the job itself is somehow invalid, and when this type of misunderstanding and hostility creeps within the walls of that church itself, then I, I would say that no one owes that particular community, such as it has become, any exit interview. You would only be ghosting something that is already dead, or arguably undead. And that's sort of my answer to the question. We spend a lot of time within that church helping people, um, trying to bring people together, trying to find common ground, calling out, and in some ways calling out in ways that was completely unwelcome, that people were talking about issues that weren't really issues. Which Sunday school classroom had the bulletin board versus the chalkboard? You know, not the kind of thing you'd divide the church over. Which cabinet you put the, you know, the coffee maker in, the, uh, the extra coffee machine in, when you were done using it, after cleaning it and drying it and putting it away? If you chose the drawer to the left instead of the drawer to the right, is that the kind of thing somebody should leave the church over? You know, and when that kind of pettiness has crept in, it's almost impossible for the church itself to even dream of being any kind of a mediator between other people and disagreements with each other. When Paul talks about being ambassadors of reconciliation, he's talking about bringing people together, and including some who have left the church. And especially if those are folks who have left the church because the church has uh, directly or indirectly, wittingly or unwittingly, sort of asked those people to leave. Every time a church tells a family that it will not play any role in that particular family's funeral because some member of that family is gay and might come to the wedding, or come to the funeral, rather, then that church is asking that family, and especially the gay person, to leave and never come back. 
And when Paul is talking about being ambassadors of reconciliation, he can't be talking about reconciling us to a world that doesn't know Jesus without talking about reconciling us back with people who love Jesus, but love Jesus and are different from us in a way that some people have sort of drawn a line in the sand and said the purity of our church is more important, the homogeny of our church is more important than any sort of you know reconciliation could possibly overcome. So for me, the more and more I became aware of the need for a ministry, whether that be uh, a podcast coming out on a weekly or monthly basis, or actually face-to-face with people, trying to make sure that the doors of the church were not locked on all sides, that somebody, and if the only person I could find to be that somebody was me, could at least speak with people that the church had otherwise behaved you know, inappropriately toward. But it was very hard to conceive in a church like that of bringing people back in to conversation when the, the church had basically directly either told them to go or insinuated that they didn't care and wasn't open to conversation because it was too busy arguing with itself about whether or not we needed to have cameras on all doors or whether only the church secretary should have the key to the parlor. You know, all that sort of kind of little petty nonsense means that you're not going to be the kind of church that could blink that could that could bring members of the community together after a uh, say a police officer shoots an unarmed black man a white police officer shoots an unarmed black man the church is one of the places you'd like to think that the community could come together in the right kind of environment in what should be a safe space to talk things out in a way that wouldn't escalate into even more hostility but how do you do that in a church that itself is filled with hostility that's filled with hostility toward each other let alone um, if you can't fix the hostilities inside your building then you really can't reach out and do it outside the building so in failing to be ambassadors that church forced us against our will almost in some ways to caution out to protect ourselves to protect the mission to to walk the steps that i believe god had called for me to walk I had to walk somewhere else to get that done. We had an interesting summer vacation, um, focusing most of our efforts into uh, holding days for August so that we would be able to participate in this New Orleans event for Pride 48. But wherever I have traveled, whether that just be a, a long weekend trip, uh, we, as an anniversary trip, my wife and I went to Canada for a few days, or a trip to see friends in the Pride 48 community who live in Alaska, I found myself constantly being aware of how much new construction is leveraging new ideas when it comes to the management of bathrooms. And I feel a little bit weird. It's strange to be in a, in a bar in Ohio or in a hotel in um, Canada or in a museum in Alaska taking pictures of the outsides of the restrooms. Um, not exactly what I plan to do on my summer vacation, but even in the church that we attend now, there have been what I would describe as disconcerting bathroom conversations. Bathroom conversations that raise questions about how serious we are about welcoming. A few episodes of Walk the Earth Back, I was answering questions, and and among them were questions that led me to say, at what level is being an an affirming church? At what level is doing the kind of reconciling ministries that I had to leave one church to even entertain doing, is it enough? I mean, 
you can be um, completely open to gay and lesbian members of your church and still have a church that, without you really realizing it, is pointlessly gendered in a way that sends kind of an unwelcoming message. And bathrooms was one of them. It is common, I would say, for me to see relatively new construction. Again, whether bars and restaurants, hotels, museums, um, other sorts of venues where the bathrooms are no longer gendered. That the bathroom itself, instead of being two very open rooms with lots of stalls where an assumption is going to be that one of them is just for men and one of them is just for women, that it's pretty common these days to be in, in a place where each bathroom is essentially its own water closet. Sometimes it's both having a uh, you know a toilet bowl with a sink and a hand dryer in each one of those bathrooms. In some cases, it's simply the toilet itself and the sink is part of a common area outside those bathrooms. But it's less and less odd to see that kind of individual approach to bathrooms. And it makes it more and more odd that I encounter people, whether as part of my church, part of my workspace, who seem to put a ton of energy and effort and angst around having a big M on one bathroom and a big W on another bathroom, as if the gendering was somehow critically important. When in many ways, I think I can make an argument and probably have this year made the argument that that gendering is inherently unwelcoming. And what do you do with that? Well, not the biggest issue the church is facing. But thankfully, I think I'm attending a church right now that itself is not guilty of ignoring the fact that kids are being taken from their parents at the U.S. border and separated with insufficient paperwork to ever hope to reunite them, and that some cases the kids are put into cages, and even the adults are being warehoused in such a way that it couldn't possibly live up to the term taking custody. When you take custody of somebody, you assume responsibility for their well-being. If they die because they didn't get their medication, or if they have some complications to their health related to dehydration because they weren't offered sufficient access to food and water, if things of that nature happen while they are, quote-unquote, in your custody because you have engaged some sort of law enforcement maneuver to detain them, then you are responsible for their fate. You're responsible for their death in the cases where there have been deaths. And certainly as a country, we are responsible for the cases of sexual assault that have creeped in in this situation where the supervision is is would be completely insufficient if we were talking about a county jail somewhere. But we're not. We're talking about something that looks a lot more like a concentration camp. I'm thankful that I'm going to a church right now that isn't indifferent to kids in cages. But I have visited churches that I would describe as positively apathetic about it. I'm not going to say that the churches um, have weighed in on the other side of the issue, that they think this is great and that they're fully supportive and that we're behind the president or whatever you might say. But they're so indifferent that the issue never comes up even in cases where the issue obviously should come up. I mean, I was in a church recently that was giving a sermon, and the focus of the sermon was all about the uh, passage in the letter of James, I believe, that makes a distinction between human wisdom and God's wisdom. And that human wisdom is often selfish and a little brutal and um, uh, arguably insufficient and uh, ungodly at the end of the day, and that God's wisdom will 
almost always in comparison to that human wisdom, look and feel very different. And in the course of this sermon, which was in you know perfectly sufficient detail to look at that piece of scripture and explain it, in my mind, it was screaming for what might have been a church-splitting conversation. I'll grant you. I, I, there's no disrespect for people who play it safe because I've been in a church that essentially split and, you know, the shrapnel flies everywhere and innocent people get hurt. But that message screamed for some kind of a claim, in my opinion, that it's human wisdom that says we can scare people from trying to come to seek asylum in the United States if when we meet them at the border, we take their kids away and they never see their kids again. That's a human wisdom approach to a problem. It's short-sighted. It's clearly been ineffective. All data that we've done from scientific research, sociological research, suggests that it will not be effective. And it completely ignores the root cause. But then again, the root cause is kind of uncomfortable. Because if we look to the root cause of how many people are seeking refuge, and we find that maybe we're in some measure to blame, maybe in a large measure to blame for what is causing them to seek refuge, then we might have been more happy if we didn't let ourselves ask the question, fingers and ears, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. It may be okay for a politician to do that, but it's not acceptable for a pastor to do it. You can't stand up in front of a congregation and preach to me about the importance of understanding the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom when you fail that very standard when it comes to, well, let's take this into something that we're seeing every day on the news and help us to understand it. Is it God's wisdom to rip children away from their parents in some sort of scientifically disproven way of scaring people away from seeking refuge? And what would God's wisdom do instead? And should we not be following God's wisdom instead. And what does it say about us if we're not only not willing to follow God's wisdom in a case that is in our faces and you can't even get away from it? I mean, I'm not calling for some esoteric comparison to current events. I'm not looking halfway across the world as something that maybe some people won't understand because they can't find Afghanistan on a map. I'm talking about something that's happening inside the United States and that is making news every single day. And it clearly begs for a pastor to speak into the question of where in this situation will we find God's wisdom. I can't be part of a church that is silent in the face of these kinds of situations. I don't know if I'm comfortable standing side by side worshiping with somebody who would view that as somehow uh, unimportant, trivial, unacceptable, that this social justice warrior thing is brought up as a dismissive claim without recognizing how fully that concept lives within what Jesus demonstrated for us and taught us to do. If Paul's talking in, this, in letters to Corinthians about us being ministers of reconciliation, we're ignoring that completely when we fail to ask the hard questions and solve the problems. And I don't know that I could be part of a church that is that insular, that wants to whitewash, that's really only interested in what's going on outside its walls if it can attach it to some um, comfortable, familiar uh, right-wing issue like abortion or prayer in schools, issues where, like let's say birth control and prayer in schools, issues where the church has so historically been wrong about it, scripturally wrong about it, that to only care about those political issues is, a, is an affront on two levels. First, it's not exactly what I think God is calling to our attention right now. I think Kids in Cages is a much bigger example of things God is calling to our attention right now. And also, I think that on those issues, like prayer in schools, they clearly get it wrong. 
so many of these politically active Christians who attend um, evangelical churches uh, haven't read the Sermon on the Mount well enough to understand what Jesus is even saying in Matthew chapter 6. So I don't, I don't exactly know what to do with that, but I do know this, that we, we left a small and dwindling congregation and sought out in the process of walking the earth as it played out another smaller congregation that the 16 to 20 churches we visited in that first year or so, some of which was documented on a, on a step-by-step Sunday-to-Sunday basis in the earlier episodes of Walk the Earth, but always in the context of the questions that were raised by it. Uh, in particular, there was a couple of questions where I was dealing with uh, things related to cathedrals and even sanctuaries where the size of the church, the mega church concept sort of crept in a little bit and we avoided the megachurch concept because I don't know that I would personally feel safe in such a large Sunday gathering. And that's weird to say, because I've recently attended a large church that had a large Sunday gathering where I was with family and I felt perfectly fine. But I was also aware of the fact that if I had in conversation, if I had, for example, attended a Sunday school that day and raised the very questions I'm raising on this episode of Walk the Earth, well, I don't know if I'd be uh, as welcomed at lunch as I was. I mean, for that particular Sunday, there were clearly people who were wearing... I saw some people wearing some attire that suggested that they were part of the God God Guns in the Bible crowd. And certainly that mentality is not going to carry an open mind to the kind of work of ambassador of reconciliation that Paul described in his letters that Dr. Sam Wells mentioned in this recent Thought of the Day podcast and that has been so front of mind for me as I continue to look backward at this journey, this walk-the-earth journey that I've covered in podcasts sporadically over six years or so, and say, well, where did we begin, and why did we begin? Well, we began by just walking away, because the things that needed to be said were said, and the things that I believed that God was calling for me, if not us as a church, possibly even us as the church universal, to start doing couldn't possibly happen because how do you invite people who are at each other's throats into a church for a time of reconciliation when the people inside that church were also at each other's throats? I guess the answer to the question today specifically of whether ghosting is an appropriate alternative to an exit interview when severing ties is... Yes, because both and either of those are appropriate. I guess I have a bias toward the exit interview. Given the choice, I'd rather put all my cards on the table and explain to people exactly what happened and what was going on and why it mattered. But sometimes you've just got to walk away. And if we decide to call that act of walking away ghosting, I guess I'm not going to let that scare me too much. If and as you were led... Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your prophets have told us things about understanding the difference between the steps we take and the path you've laid out for us. And we always give scriptures like that a lot of lip service without taking them as seriously as we should. Lord, I praise you for giving us the strength to walk away when we did. I'm aware, Lord, that we didn't walk away sooner because of human wisdom, not your guidance. But I'm also aware, Lord, that 
that time in between when it seemed like there was going to be a new plan for us and a new path for us and actually leaving for good and not letting the door hit us on the way out was a time of saying everything that needed to be said, whether an interview was ever going to be formally extended to us or not. So I guess I'm, I'm okay and comfortable with walking away in that situation because part of me believes that I did say on my own steam what needed to be said in many ways, some with words, some without. And I also have tremendous faith in you, Lord, that if people really did have questions, that you are sufficient to provide those answers. So help others, God, to reconcile when the right thing to do to keep themselves safe and mentally healthy is simply to shut a door and that it's not always as rude as it sounds, God, to shut that door. I'm reminded when I was a kid and the phone would ring and it would be a big deal to answer it. The, for the phone to ring when we were home and for us kids to not answer that phone was was the kind of thing that our parents might ground us over. And now, Lord, even our parents' generation has learned that the best thing to do with marketing calls and spam and unknown numbers on cell phones is to just let it ring and force the person to leave a message that we will call back. So if I do still have a relationship with anybody in the church and parachurch organizations that I've stopped participating in, um, it's not that I'm not going to answer that call, but the person needs to leave a message and the message needs to be one that's clear that it's not about me, it's not about them, it's not about the church. Lord God, it's about your ministry, it's your ministry of reconciliation. And if we're not prepared to be ambassadors with and to one another, then we're certainly not prepared to be ambassadors to the world. Lord, convict us. Stop us in our tracks. Call to our attention that if we're not speaking with people that we've declared to be enemies, then we're failing you, and we're failing you in a profound way. Nothing, Jesus, can we can do nothing, Jesus, to keep you somehow safe and pure and free from the the sinfulness of this world. You chose voluntarily to enter in to this sinful world. You've called us to do likewise. In your holy name I pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions.
by Kevin McLeod. As I'm sure I hinted in the show, I don't have a next on Walk the Earth, but I will say that there is a next for inappropriate conversations, and this next is going to happen live before a studio audience in New Orleans. It's going to be broadcast at uh, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, August 7, 2019, and it's going to look at the topic of why we watch the movies and shows we watch. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.